0: Well, hello once again, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Voorst, and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you haven't already subscribed, please do so so that you can stay up to date on our podcast as well as any upcoming information or events that might be happening at Life Church. And also, I want to encourage you to consider giving to Life Church and the work that we all get to do together. Um, it's it's an honor to be able to invest in what God is doing in and through Life Church. And if you want to partner with us, I would encourage you to do so. You can go to lifechurchcanton.org/give and find out how your giving makes an impact, as well as how you can give. Uh, We are in a series called Galatians, and we're going to continue. We're almost done. Uh, This is going to be a sermon from me, and I'm um, sort of piggybacking off of a message that you heard a couple weeks ago from Pastor Julia, a friend of ours that flew out here from Minnesota. Uh, She gave a message called The Connected Life. It's all about a life connected to God through His Spirit, and that uh, God's Spirit uh, encourages us to step out of hiding and to be connected with him, an intimate relationship with God. Uh, That's kind of an individual thing, but now we're moving into a section about how you and I, as spirit-led people, now do church. How do we be part of this community together? And that's what this message is going to be about. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you for being with us. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Life Church. Anybody who's in the room watching online. Love for you to get connected. For those of you in the room, you do have a connect card and a pen. You can fill out that. If there's anything that sparks you or interests you in any way, uh, we want to help you take a next step. And for those of you watching online, you can click on any of the links available. And then those listening to the podcast, there are links available on that page as well for you later on. Welcome. We're glad you're here. We're in a series called Galatians. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But I have a question for you. Have you ever built something, built a house, built a building, or uh, have you had your own house built and you got to watch the process unfold? Or have you at least seen a building being built on TV? Just to to make sure that we've covered all our bases and we're all on the same page, right? There's a lot of stopping and starting and waiting and anticipation and maybe even some anxiety in the process during the building, right? And, And it's not just quick and easy. It doesn't just happen overnight, right? Like, you gotta get the foundation, but then you gotta get the framers, but then you gotta prepare for the electrician, but then you can't go to the next spot because then you might have to make sure that your permits are good and you've gotta get an inspection and then the plumber's got to get in, and there's roofing, and there's all kinds of things involved with the process. So There's a lot of stopping and starting, especially when you're building from scratch. You've got to make sure that everything is going just right. And then, obviously, in some, sometimes there's a, there's a cost associated to it that can be prohibitive to your process of building. Maybe not so much in this country, but in other parts of the world. I've had an opportunity to visit some developing countries, in Latin America. And when I was there for about a week at a time, uh, we'd be driving around and there was these like partially or half-built buildings and homes really that were just on cinder blocks and, and rebar and, and there were no workers there. Nobody was there working on the building and all week long I noticed this and I finally said to the guy that was driving us around, I'm like, what's the deal with all of the half-built buildings? And he said, yeah, that's super normal. Uh, what happens in this country, not so much in America, is they have a certain amount of money and then they build until that money is gone. And then they stop building until they raise some more money. So the process could go on uh, way longer than it would maybe in our country. And I'm like, yeah, but like, isn't there a danger or a risk involved with that? Like, Don't people just come and, and like vandalize or destroy some of the properties? He's like, yeah, absolutely. So then the process even takes longer. There's a cost associated with it. And then in some cases, uh, maybe it's not building from scratch, but there's renovations. Some of you have done renovations on your homes, your apartment buildings, whatever it might be. And that's a whole other kind of process because you might have a certain goal in mind and then you start tearing down walls or, or taking down a beam that actually is maybe structurally supposed to be there, right? And that's a problem or you, you uh, expose something that you realize, oh, there's a pipe there that we didn't know was there and now we've got to deal with that. And so the process takes that much longer. Building cost renovation there's there's a lot of stopping and starting and waiting and maybe even some anxiety and anticipation that comes with that isn't there what about building a faith community what does that look like exactly and is there stopping and starting and waiting maybe some of you even feel that here like let me ask you a more specific question at life church what are we exactly trying to build here and how do we go about building whatever it is that we're building is there in fact a goal is there like a trajectory to where we're going or are we just trying to get to a certain point where we have this sort of insular country club community of people that that we're good now we're good there's an end to what we built how do we do this how do we talk about community and building community if you were here a couple weeks ago, you heard from our friend Julia, and Pastor Julia gave an incredible message about what it means to have a spirit-led life, a, dis, or sorry, a connected life versus a disconnected life, and that's a connected life to God's spirit. And she talked about that on somewhat of an individual level, but now, in where we're at in Galatians, we're going to start to turn the corner to what that looks like for me to have a spirit life, you to have a spirit life, and now for us to do life Together? What exactly does that look like? And what are we trying to do together? What are we building together? And it can get a little complex along the way. So, the next section that I want to look at is all about building community together, or more specifically, a spirit built community. So, I'm going to be in Galatians chapter. 5, and then going into a little bit of part of chapter 6 as well. I'm going to break it down piece by piece, but first I just want to read it, and I want you to just listen, just hear what sticks out to you. So here we go, Galatians chapter 5. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Now, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourselves. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are responsible for our own conduct. Let's break this down. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. I want to talk about just a couple things with that verse. First of all, this idea of belonging to Christ. Now, before I go any further, I don't want to assume that everybody in this room or everybody watching online would necessarily call themselves a Christian or would say they could look back at a moment in life where they said yes to Jesus. They gave their life Jesus. I don't want to make that assumption. We have had several people who are just seeking. They're just trying to figure out answers to life, and they're they're finding that in churches and in some cases. So what I want to say actually is to the Christians in the room, to those of you who claim to be followers of Jesus, that this is an important caveat for those who belong to Christ Jesus, have nailed their passions, their desires to the cross. That's an important key for us to recognize because sometimes We as Christians hold non-Christians, or people who haven't said yes to Jesus, we hold them to some unnecessary moral standard to look like Jesus when they've never said yes to Jesus in the first place. And we waste a whole lot of energy getting angry about their lifestyle when they haven't even subscribed to Jesus or to a way of Jesus. So I just want to give you permission to have freedom from the restlessness that we sometimes get to trying to get a world to change, to be like Jesus, and they haven't said yes to Jesus. That's an important piece. Those who belong to Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross. Now, what does that mean? Well, a couple weeks ago, if you heard Pastor Julia's message, she talked about these passions, these desires, right? And what's uh, needs to be understood here is this is not just, you know, you have passions and desires in life and so do I. It's not that those are inherently sinful. It's that when they become disconnected from God and become distorted or maybe even perverted in terms of relationships and sex and sexuality and the things that we do for fun, that's when they become sinful. When they're disconnected from God, when they are distorted from what they originally were intended to be. Those are the things that have been nailed to the cross. And Paul goes on to say in verse 25, so then, since we are living by the Spirit, because we have a spirit life versus our sinful life, sinful nature, spirit nature, now we are being led by the Spirit. We're living by the Spirit. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. If you've been here for a while now, you're going to be incredibly sick of me giving this message over and over, talking about the importance of community, that it's about y'all, it's about all of us. It's the collective, the communal side of things. It is not just us as individuals, but us working together in a community. Now, what happens is we're all led by the same spirit. There is us, our community, led by the same spirit. That's good news, right? So it makes it incredibly simple. If there is one spirit, then we are all getting to be in alignment with what God is calling us to do, or more specifically, what God is calling us to build. It's really that simple. Except, let us not become conceited, or provoke one another, or be jealous of one another. Shoot, it's not that simple. It's complex, because there's a lot of messy broken people right and Julia talked about this we have a sin nature we have a spirit nature and they are constantly dueling with one another and she brought up a really great question about that how do you know when you're being led by the spirit or when you're being led by your own individual sinful passions and desires it's really hard to do that so we are still battling, in a sense, with trying to understand what it means to, lead, uh, to live a spirit-led life. And then so are you, and so am I, and now we're trying to do this thing together. Well, guess what? It gets incredibly complex. It's broken. It's messy. Why else would it need to be said to not be conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another? What is it talking about here? So here's the thing is, is my experience of working in a church for several years now, you see this happen. Even when there is a spirit, a Holy Spirit that reflects a perfect God is leading a community, still we get into ourselves. We get led by our sinful nature at times, and we start saying things like, well, God told me that we're supposed to do this thing, and we're supposed to say that thing, and we're supposed to go that direction, and then somebody else is like, well, wait, that." I didn't get that message. I I didn't get the memo. I didn't hear that from God. I was praying and in my individual time and how I understand the scriptures is we're supposed to go and do this and this is how I understand it. This is what we're supposed to do and go this direction. And so you see this banter go back and forth and we wonder, why would anybody want to be part of the church, right? (laughs) Of course, there's division within a church when there's competing ideas about which direction to go. We compete with one another. We compare ourselves to one another, and we begin to elevate ourselves, and we start to say, well, well, I have more knowledge, I have more education, I'm more spiritual, I have more experience in this direction, so therefore we're going to go with what I said, because I'm more connected to God's Spirit than you are, and we sort of elevate ourselves over the other person. Or, in some cases, uh, we actually do the opposite. We diminish ourselves, and, and we say, well, that person's I mean, they're way smarter than I am. They're way more intelligent. They can speak on stage. I could never speak on stage. I I don't know what I would say to them, so we probably should just do whatever it is that they say because they're more spiritual than I am. We compete and we compare with one another. So, of course, yeah, Paul says don't become conceited. Don't provoke one another. Don't be jealous of one another. There's one spirit, but there's one body filled with all different kinds of differences and backgrounds, and so it's hard. But even then, even more so, there's, there's some diversity with what the Spirit gives us. The, the Spirit actually gives diverse gifts and abilities. Check this out. Uh, Paul speaks to the Roman church, and in chapter 12, he says this in verse 6, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. to us, and then that spirit develops gifts and abilities within us that are all unique and diverse from one another, but all for the purpose of building up the church but there's still that complex side of things where our sin nature is fighting with our spirit nature. And so we get into ourselves and we get into our own heads about what gifts are better than others. And we're like, oh, I could, I could never have that gift. That seems like way more public and scary. And, and, and I, don't, I don't want to be a part of that one. Or, or some will hold their gift up and, and say it's better. It's like, well, I have a, I have a teaching gift, they just have a gift of kindness, which is okay, but like, it's not, you know, it's, it's just kindness. What do you do with kindness? You just be nice to people? Teaching, that's way cooler, right? And way more public, right? So we start to value these things. And we do this in our culture, right? So it shouldn't surprise us. I mean, let's go back to the building metaphor. If I were to ask you, what's the most important part of the house? Well, the foundation, of course, right? Because if the foundation is cracked, well, then the whole thing's going to go down. And it's, it's not going to work out. Well, the electrician might come along and say, no, no, the electric is important. If you wire the house wrong, well, guess what? There's a spark. The whole thing's going to go up in flames. And now the plumber's like, wait, 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 wait. No, if the plumbing isn't done correctly, you got water going all over the place. That's going to ruin the wood, and you're going to have to start completely over from scratch. What's more important? In our culture actually puts a financial value to these things and, and ranks them and says, well, actually, this one is more valuable, and so we're going to pay this person more and this person a little bit less. And then we take that cultural understanding and project it onto the church. And we say, well, that gift is more important than that gift. But see, the church is supposed to be counter-cultural. We, we, we are called to so much greater and deeper things that each one of us is required to be part of this thing, regardless of what our gift is. And then he goes on to humble us a little bit, Paul does. He says this in chapter 6, verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Now, be careful not to fall in temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, you're actually obeying the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourselves. You are not that important. Welcome to church. You belong. You're not that important. (laughs) I am not that important. Now, this is weird, right? Like, it's weird to have Paul talking like this, but really, this is an important piece. Don't for one second think that you have somehow arrived, to make you better than somebody else. Don't think that you're like, oh, they, they deal with that sinful issue. I never had to deal with that. Or I did once deal with that, but I don't anymore. And I feel so much better that I don't. Oh, too bad for them. Or the opposite side of things of like, I'm just, I'm broken, I'm unworthy. And that person, they just seem to have their life all put together. And I could, I could never aspire to who they are, to what they're like. And so just woe is me. And we go into self loathing. I feel like this is Paul's way of saying, sit down, be humble. (laughs) It's not about you. You're not that important. Why would he say that? Because it's in the context of what he says before. Be careful not to become conceited, to think you're better than everybody else, to think that you have arrived. You're just as messed up as the people in the chairs. That's God speaking to me. You got issues, you got brokenness. Don't become conceited because you think you have achieved a certain level of spirituality as if there's some kind of ranking system. But also, don't become jealous of one another. Don't wish that you were in somebody else's position. Now, share with each other. And more specifically, help each other. If you see somebody else that is struggling in some area, gently and humbly help them back onto the path. Let's talk about that piece for just a second. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever called out somebody in a faith community, in a small group, in a church? You've come alongside somebody, you've noticed they've been really struggling in a particular area, maybe it's a particular sin, and you feel this need to like call them out? Yes, super fun. Not at all. Very uncomfortable. Very awkward. To come alongside and to correct somebody, to exhort somebody, that's, that's a hard process. Paul says do that with gentleness and with Humility. I I have learned a lot mostly from my mistakes in this process of trying to come alongside people to bring correction, to bring exhortation. I want to share just three things that I think could be helpful, and maybe you have more that you could share with me as well, but just a couple ideas about how we actually do this within a church. The first one is make sure that they actually belong to Christ, be sure that they belong to Christ. This goes back to what I had said earlier. If you are trying to correct somebody to be more like Jesus, but they've never said yes to Jesus in the first place, then it's kind of like wasted energy. Now, that's not to say that you can't show them grace and compassion and love in the process, but that's for the hope that they might see your life and wonder, why do you have so much joy? Why do you have so much peace? Why do you have so much love? And be compelled to ask you about your life. But if they have not said yes to Jesus and you're going there and trying to call them out on their sin, what's the point? There's no standard that they're held to because they haven't subscribed to that Jesus. Be sure that they belong to Christ. If you want to talk about exhortation, if you want to talk about leading them back on the path, there's an assumption that they were already on a path at one point. The second thing is be sure that there's a relationship there. So if there's a relationship, you're going to know if they belong to Christ or not, which means standing on a corner holding up a sign that says, God hates, fill in the blank, isn't a relationship, right? Like if somebody driving by sees a sign like that, I have yet to meet a person who started coming to church because they saw a sign that says, God hates, fill in the blank, and thought, you know what, they're right, I really should check that out. This seems like a God I would want to worship. haven't seen it work yet. There's no relationship there. It's just a shouting match. It's just screaming. It's just noise. And it doesn't reflect the heart of God. But also, I I was just talking to somebody recently who uh, used to be a a server, a waitress. She would serve tables. She was a, a person of faith, grew up in a church, but not the right kind of denomination according to the people that she would serve from time to time. She would always have these tables every once in a while of Christians who would begin evangelizing her or trying to convert her without ever hearing anything about her story. And then eventually she would say, well, actually, I I am a a faithful person. um, And they would ask more questions and they're like, oh, that's not the right denomination, so you're still going to hell. Just casually say that to this person. And she is still working through the hurt of feeling that over and over and hearing that over and over. Of like, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I, I'm I don't fully understand it. Maybe I haven't arrived yet, like they have. Be gentle. Be gentle. <laughs> Be sure that there's a relationship there. So you can gently guide somebody on a path that actually looks like Jesus and not like what you think it should look like. That's the third thing. Be sure it's not about you. If you're helping somebody back on the path towards what it looks like to live a life modeled after Jesus, then it's not about you. It can't be about you. It can't be about me walking away from that conversation feeling, well, I did my part. I'm good to go. Whether they change or not, I don't know, that's up to them. But at least I did the right thing. It's not about helping them. It's about you. That's like Jonah. If you've read the story of Jonah, God says, you need to go share this message Uh, To this people, to this evil people, and I'm going to show them mercy. And Jonah doesn't want to do it. He does it, and then after he's done, he goes away and he watches to see their destruction, hoping that God will send destruction on them. And then God does what he said he was going to do. He shows them mercy and kindness, and Jonah goes, This is what we do as Christians sometimes is we expect somebody to change. They do. God shows them mercy and compassion and we get frustrated when God's the one that's doing the mercy. It's just not about us. God's going to do what he wants to do. And if he chooses to extend his grace and his love in ways that we wouldn't normally, doesn't that show that God is that much more powerful And, and outside of our way of thinking? And doesn't that make him all the more worthy of our worship? Be sure they belong to Christ. Be sure that there's a relationship there and be sure that it's not about you. It's not about me. This is how we help people on the path. And finally, in our humility, Paul says, pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct? What does it look like to be responsible for our own conduct? Well, here's the thing. In humility, we recognize that we just haven't arrived yet either. And we never will until Jesus arrives. Until he comes back, we will never arrive. We are constantly a work in progress. And so if we are paying attention to that work that God is doing within us, we're going to be so busy trying to understand how we can look more like Jesus that we just don't have enough time to start calling everybody else out. You're a sinner. You're a heretic. You're a pagan. No, I just, I'm constantly looking inward and saying, God, what do you need to do in me? How are you changing me? How are you transforming me? Jesus says it this way, before you pay attention to the tiny little speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye and you want to get that out of their eye look at the plank, look at the giant two by four in your own eye and deal with that first or the psalmist David says it this way, this is a bold prayer and I would encourage you to pray it this week search me O God and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts point out anything in me anything in me That offends you, and then lead me along the path of everlasting life. If this is a daily prayer, we're not gonna have a whole lot of energy to start in a conceited way calling everybody else's sin out. But at the same time, we are going to position ourselves in humility under the grace of God, to come alongside somebody and to not say, hey, I've got it all figured out, so let me help you make choices that I made. No, it's like, hey, you're broken? I'm super broken as well. Let's do this thing together under the same spirit. Let's follow after Jesus together. Let's do this thing together. Growing up, um, we didn't have cable. We had four, sometimes five channels. If you don't know what that means... I don't have time to explain it, but um, we had NBC, ABC, CBS, sometimes Fox, right, on a good day. And then we, we also had PBS most of the time. And on Saturday afternoons, if it was raining out, I would sit and I'd watch PBS and guess what was on in the afternoon. Other than Bob Ross, it was also This Old House. I loved this old house. It's still on to this day, and it's it certainly changed over the years, but I loved watching this old house. These guys are, like, super skilled at their, at their tasks, their role, whether it's woodworking or building or whatever, renovating. I just I loved seeing the process unfold. And we continued watching. I, I, keep, uh, I still watch it with my kids today, and we're watching. One of the things I noticed that has sort of changed over the years is it's become more of a teaching show, Like they're really trying to teach the audience to kind of learn how to do their own things. And I noticed there was this one episode where the the skilled worker was talking with the host. And the host was like, so why are you doing it that way? Couldn't you just do it this way? And the skilled worker's like, yeah, there there is a way that I could do this task, and it'd be really easy for me, and it would look good, it would be fine. But the problem is, is there's another builder or another skilled worker that's going to come along and then they've got to build their piece on top of the thing that I'm doing. So, so what I need to do then is I need to adjust my technique and I need to build it in such a way that prepares for the person that's coming after me. Talk about humility. When I think about that idea in terms of building a church, building a faith community, a spirit-built community, is that we are building to position ourselves for the people who come after us, for the other workers, for the other gifted and able people who are going to take this church into the next place. I asked the question earlier, what are we trying to build here? Well, we're actually trying to build on a foundation that prepares for the next generation. We position for the people who come after us, which means it's not just all about us. It is for a season, but then it's going to be about others who come after us. And we all have skills and abilities, and if we belong to Christ, we have been given unique skills and abilities through his spirit to participate in this building process, to build the community that God is calling us to build. It's an incredible invitation, but it requires gentleness humility, and being led by God's Spirit to come together and to not not make it about my gifts versus your gifts, but to actually work with one another, to build for, to position for the next phase. But we are building something, and there's costs associated with it, and there's sometimes renovation that's happening. When I think about how this has actually played out here at Life Church, specifically. When I think about building from scratch, I think about life journey. I think about discipleship. This has to be the foundation. We've talked about this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded to you. And be sure that I, I, you know this, I am with you to the very end of the age. This is the foundation for, for serving, for small groups, for building into our young people. This is ex- absolutely crucial to building for the generation that comes after us. It's a work in progress. And it, at times maybe feels like there's stopping and starting and waiting. There's costs associated with this, right? To, to building a spirit-led or a spirit-built community. When I think about this, I think about those those other countries, those developing countries that I had an opportunity to go to and to see these houses who were that were partially built, but then sort of just left open. And then they could be vandalized and destroyed and damaged in some cases because they ran out of money and they couldn't keep on building. And then eventually, eventually they were able to come back and continue building on that process, but had to fix some of the damages as well. When I think about this image, it makes me think about our journey with Diversity and racial justice specifically at this church. And there's a huge cost associated with building awareness and building relationships and building commitments within our community. There's absolutely a cost associated with it. And for some, they have said, the cost is too high. We cannot keep building. It's too much. We need to stop. We need to reevaluate where we're going. All the while, there are other voices who have been in conversation with me and with others on staff who would say, "Wait, we're just getting started." How could We can't stop now. We're just now getting started. We're just getting the building off the ground. We've got to keep on building. While some would say there's a cost associated with this, I might argue that the cost is even greater if we don't keep on building. There's renovation happening as well. We're, we're not a church that's been built from... Uh, we're not currently being built from scratch, right? Like it, It's been around a while. And when we think about where we have been as a church and we think about the past, we can't disparage what was done in the past. That's going to get us nowhere. I've been a part of some conversations where we would want to look at the way things were done before and say, well, that was no good and we can't do that anymore. There's, there's a nuance to that conversation. I think about it this way. I, I bought a house that was built in the 80s and um, there's some things that are breaking down, right? There's some things that need to be adjusted and about every other week I'm finding a new thing that needs to be adjusted or needs to be fixed or needs to be replaced or needs to be brought up to code. And every time I find something, I'm, I, I see something that was original to the house. And in my initial reaction is to want to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they they used that. Like that's worth What were they thinking? Why would they put that piece there? That doesn't make any sense. And then I have a taste of humble pie because I realized like no that was actually innovative for the time <laughs> that, that is actually the best thing that they had available to them back in the 80's that was cutting edge at that time I realized oh yeah that okay not only do I acknowledge it but then I realize man I'm, I'm really grateful that it actually lasted this long I'm grateful and almost want to celebrate that it took the house this far When I think about the renovation that's happening in this church and will continue to happen, it is not so that we look at the past and disparage it and just say, they didn't have a clue what they were doing back then. We know so much better now. No, we celebrate. We acknowledge where God moved. We celebrate what he has done and how he has gotten this church to this point. Absolutely. Praise God for that. And in humility, we recognize that there is a new season upon us and will continue to be. And so we adjust with those seasons. We have to kind of bring things back up to code again. We have to tweak some things every now and then. We have to adjust some things. We have to update some things. As I reflect on the last two years and our uh, inclusion of partnership, I think it's been been an adjustment. It's been a, a different mindset. It's been a renovation, if you will, in order to build into the community, but more so not just for this insular group, but to position ourselves for the future, for the generations that come after us, so that we leave them with a healthy church, so that they can come along and they can continue to build upon what was there. I think about partnership, and it's not just watching from a distance, right? Like sometimes you go, um, there's a Culver's being built in, in, uh, in Canton, and my kids are super excited. In Minnesota, we had a Culver's like every two blocks, okay? Really excited about Culver's. I don't want to talk about that too much, um, but it's, we're watching the building go up, and it's so much fun to watch, like, oh, now they got the sign-up. Oh, now they're working on the parking lot. But it's so much different to actually be a worker, to, like, get on the job site and to participate in the building process. I want to call you to partnership. Don't just watch what God is doing from a distance and see his spirit move. No, actually get into the, the work site. Be part of building what God is doing here in this community. So what are we going to do? How are we going to move forward? What are our action steps? Well, I've kind of already said them. but I don't want to give them to you practically. And they're not necessarily action steps that you would sort of take into this next week. I want you to think about them at a more 30,000-foot view, if you will. The first one is life journey. This is discipleship. This is our call as followers of Jesus. If you belong to Christ, this is the call in your life. No matter who you are, no matter what your gifts or abilities are, you're called to make disciples. And so if you've had no interaction with the life journey in any way, I want to encourage you to get prepared, to start praying for what will it look like for you to get involved with life journey as we approach the fall. The second thing is be the bridge. Be the bridge is the initial conversations that we get into around diversity and racial justice and what it looks like to be a multi-ethnic, multicultural community, all being led by the same Spirit of God. Be the Bridge is a wonderful uh, time to just get together and have hard conversations and to begin to build into your awareness, but also building relationships, long-lasting relationships, and then building into commitments as well. That's going to be starting up again this fall. And then lastly, partnership. We're going to be talking about partnership a lot this fall. We're going to be going over our codes that you can see on our wall here and talking about those a little bit more and then inviting you to prayerfully consider being a partner, build into what God is building here in this community. Part of that does look like generosity. I mentioned one of those gifts. Some of you are incredibly gifted at just being generous, and you just trust with what God is doing financially with our church. For those of you that's newer to you, I want to invite you to give to what God is doing within our community, to allow God's spirit to continue to build us into who he has called us to be. If you want to give now, you can. There's links available for those of you watching online, for those of you in person. If you want to give something in the black boxes, you can do that. But partner with us. All of these things we could talk about on the Connect card. Not every one of them is explicitly on the Connect card right now, but if you have questions about any of those areas, life journey, be the bridge or partnership, write that on your connect card, let us know, and then turn it in in the boxes in the lobby so that we can help you take that next step. We want to be a spirit-built community. It's going to be hard. It's going to be messy. It's going to be broken, but there's also going to be a ton of joy and a ton of God's love working in and through us and God's grace allowing us to work together as we do this thing together. We're going to receive communion in just a moment, but before we do, I want to acknowledge that there are some listening online or those of you in the room right now where you're like, yeah, you talking about belonging to Christ. I I don't think that's me. I I don't know if I belong anywhere, really. Maybe you are seeking answers to questions that you've had for a long time. You're just not sure about this whole faith thing. You're not sure about Jesus. But maybe today you're willing to take a step of faith. To call out to God. I want to invite you to do that today. To have a new sense of belonging. Belong to Christ. Experience a newfound sense of life and joy and peace. And if that's you, I want to invite you to pray right now. Even as I speak. If you need to pray in your own mind, your own words, whatever that looks like, go ahead and do so. Allow me to guide you through that. God, I recognize that I don't know if I belong anywhere. I don't know to whom I belong. I recognize that much of my life is just for me. It's just living for myself. hoping to get the next pleasure, to consume the next thing. And all the while, I'm left completely unfulfilled. But God, today I want to experience true belonging with you and with the family of God. So God, I give my life to Jesus. I commit myself to him. And I don't know what that's all going to look like yet. I don't have all the answers, but I will trust that your spirit leads me into life and into community where my life can be built. Well, thank you again for listening to this message, and we hope you were inspired and encouraged um, by it. And if you are feeling led to Um, to receive prayer or to get connected, make sure you go to lifechurchcanton.org slash now. And there's a couple different links that you can click on. One is uh, a link to give if you'd like to do that, if you're feeling led to do that. Uh, Also a connect card for you to fill out, fill out some information about yourself, help us uh, get to know you a little bit better. and, And then we can help you take your next steps. Uh, If you also just need prayer for something that is going on in your life, something that God is moving in you and and trying to get your attention on, um, let us know. We want to partner with you in that. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, and we'll see you back here soon.